0: Yeah, Last week we started the uh, book of Jonah. We got through chapter one. We're going to look at chapter two tonight. Jonah's prayer from the belly of the great fish. Was it a whale? Was it a fish? Does it matter? I'm not sure. <laughs> All right, but yeah, what an incredible story. This is a familiar story for sure. I think the first time I heard this story I was maybe four or five years old. Vacation Bible school. It was on a flannel graph. That was awesome. We still do flannel graphs. Yeah, those were great. But yeah, maybe like me, you've heard this story before, Um, and I I just wanted to, I'll I'll pray here in a moment, but I just wanted to touch on, man, we think that the Bible, it's God's Word, it's powerful, and uh, we believe it's relevant to you tonight. There's something in here for you. (laughs) It's not outdated, it's not uh, a bore or a chore to read it, it's awesome, and uh the bible actually describes itself in hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 as living and powerful. I love that description because it's true. Yeah, living and powerful. Another translation says that it's alive and active. I like that too. Um maybe you can relate to me though. For, there was a period of time where uh, my bible didn't get much attention. <laughs> it was on a shelf. It got uh, a couple dust bunnies. And uh yeah, even though I neglected it, it, it never ceased to be powerful. It lost no power. Um, so anyways, no matter how much dust gets on there, our Bibles, they, um, they're always living and powerful. And you guys don't have dusty Bibles. I'm talking about other Christians. But, but. It's funny, I recently heard a country song and the guy was going through a really bad breakup. And, uh, and he, he was just, whatever, in the pit of despair. And he was talking about the, that he was using his Bible as a coaster for his beer. And I was like, dude, I mean, it's one thing to have dust on your Bible, but don't use it as a beer coaster, man. Even, even unbelievers don't do that. That ain't right. <laughs> okay, yeah, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Can we pull that up again really quick, fellas? Thanks, all right. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. I wanted to just touch on this briefly before we start on a very familiar story with the old Bible story. Sometimes we're like, I've heard this before. But man, this is the word of God. This is what we're reading about it. There's no other book like it. And uh, I'm sure you guys have heard this before. We read the Bible, but it's said of this book that it can read you. (laughs) Only other book, um, only book in the universe that can do that. Uh, I'm just so excited about it right now. But it's always relevant, always living, powerful, active. And at the end of that verse there, it says it's the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart, so it knows your motives. And that, I mean, kind of make you squirm in your seat, you know. <laughs> um, on the day of Pentecost, it was said of Peter's message that the words cut to the heart. But the Bible does that same thing. It cuts through all the garbage. Because uh, I think the reality is, I can fool you. You know, I can pretend I'm something that I'm not. I can get up here, uh, act real Christian, say the right words, sell the, the right lingo. Kind of project whatever image I want, but I think the Bible exposes that in us. It uh, it cuts through all that stuff. It cuts through the fronts that we put up. And I just wanted to start with that and just say, man, we are committed to the study of this word here. And I think it's a total blast, too. But yeah, we're going to be in Jonah chapter 2, so we can open there. Jonah chapter 2 in my Bible. I can see chapter 1 and chapter 2, which is really nice because I wanted to do just a brief review of what we talked about last week. And so far, Jonah has received a word from the Lord. God said, hey man, I have a job for you. I want you to go to Nineveh. I preach to these people. I want to show compassion to them. I love them. I want to save them, but they're way off track right now. And we read that their wickedness has come up before me. And I thought that was a good reminder that God is not indifferent towards wickedness. Uh, He cares. It's a big deal to him and he is not cool with it. Uh, some people think, doesn't matter how bad we are, let's live it up, let's just be bad at the bone. But he sees the wickedness of this world, he cares, and he cares enough to do something about it, which, man, I love that about my God. Every injustice, every act of defiance, every broken heart, he sees it, and he's willing to reach out. So he sends Jonah. Um, he saw the Ninevites going in a bad way, and he just said, stop, I want you guys to come back to me, I want you to get on the right track, I want to have compassion on you. So he sends his prophet Jonah, and how did Jonah respond? Jonah said, mm, no thanks. <laughs> uh, recently, uh, my daughter, uh, Posey, she's learned that phrase too, no thank you. <laughs> she used to say no, and we we're like, hey, okay, sweetie, we're trying to teach her how to be polite. You know?" So we're like, it's no thank you, you have to say no thank you. But now it's turned into, I'm like, okay, hey, listen, we got to get ready for bed, bedtime, time to do jammies. She goes, no thank you. And I'm like, it's like polite disobedience, you know. It's great. Jonah's disobedience was not polite. He says, no thanks, Lord. So he goes down to Joppa, and we reviewed some of the interesting history in Joppa, that small port. Um, it's later where Peter would receive a vision to take the gospel to the Gentiles. In Acts chapter 10, we read about that a little bit. Really cool parallel. Uh, Jonah did not want to take the gospel to the Gentiles, to the Ninevites, to the Assyrian Empire, Peter didn't either. He thought they were unclean, but we know Jonah thought the same thing about the Ninevites. He didn't want anything to do with them. He thought they were bad guys, foreigners, outsiders, unclean. And I thought that was a good reminder too. We talked about how, you know, I might call something unclean or uh, those people are weird, but God might say, hey, I want to use you to touch their lives. I want to show compassion to them and I want to use you to do it. (laughs) Good reminder. But Jonah goes and he buys a one-way ticket to Tarshish, which is 2,500 miles in the uh, wrong direction. And he's thinking, I'll go to Tarshish. I'll escape the presence of the Lord. I'll head that way. And again, to the Hebrew, that was as far left as you could go. There's nothing left of Tarshish except for the Atlantic Ocean. And ships that go that way, they don't come back. So Jonah is literally thinking, I'm going to run away from the presence of the Lord. I'm going to go to the edge of the world. God will never get me over here, 2,500 miles away. I will escape God's presence. But we reminded... We can't do that. We can't escape God's presence. He's everywhere all the time. And if you're running from him, that's bad news, man. Really bad news. (laughs) How do you run from the creator? uh, Someone who is omnipresent. But in that same vein, in the same side of the coin, there's good news, man. If you're trying to find him, he's not far away. He's closer than he's ever been all the time. And I wanted to bring this verse up. It's Psalm 145, verse 18. The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth, man. I love that verse. And I think this is a great promise that we can cling to as a, as a Christian man. If you call upon the Lord, he's there. Couldn't be any closer. It, this also reminded me, too, of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28. Um, it's towards the end of the chapter. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Man, I'm so happy that these are some of his last words, I am with you always. And I personally can uh, vouch here, I can't tell you how many times I've clung to that promise in times of just loneliness and fear. Um, Just where we feel like nobody is close or nobody is near Jesus said, he's with us always, ma'am. And like that psalm said, God is near to all who call upon him. So Jonah was doing his best to escape. He went down to Joppa by the ticket. He's totally in complete rebellion. Uh, not good. He's headed to Tarshish. But remember this, in Jonah chapter 1, verse 4, the Lord sends a storm. This was the first miracle that we read about. And there's something very interesting here in this verse that I wanted to talk about and I didn't mention it last week uh, because I didn't know about it last week. It actually came up in my study this week. So <laughs> uh, I'm gonna try it out it's the best stuff but it's really cool. So in Jonah chapter 1 verse 4, but the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship was about to be broken up. If you look at the phrase great wind, there I have it circled in my Bible, great wind, It's really interesting, but the word for wind is, it's R-U-A-H, it's pronounced Ruech, Ruech. Try to say it, go ahead, go for it, Ruech. You say Rue and then like you just tasted something horrible, Ruech. Yeah, Ruech, that's it. Okay, who cares about that word? Well, it's the same word that is found in Exodus chapter 14. We'll get there in a second, but just for some context, this is what's going on in Exodus chapter 14. The Israelites are escaping from Egypt, so... They make it to the sea, but they're pinned down between the Egyptians and the sea, and everybody's freaking out. And they're going, Moses, thanks a lot for bringing us here just so that we could die by the sea. where there are not enough graves in uh, Egypt? So that's why you brought us all the way out here to die. And Mo- Moses is like, okay, chill. God will fight for you. Okay, this is a rendition. This is not word for word, obviously. God will fight for you. So then we read that the pillar of cloud comes between the Israelites and the camp of the um, Egyptians, okay? Again, Israelites are trapped between the Egyptians and the sea. But God gives Moses these instructions, and he says, stretch out your hand over the sea. It's going to part, and then you guys can go through on the dry land. Incredible story, okay? We all know about the Exodus. But this is verse 21, okay? Exodus chapter 14, verse 21. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, And the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. So in Exodus chapter 14, verse 21, where it says strong east wind, that is the same phrase, ruach, as the great wind that we just read about in Jonah chapter 1, verse 4. Okay, so that's the connection there. Okay, who cares? Well, the same great wind that helped the Israelites escape the Egyptians is the same wind that is preventing Jonah from escaping from the presence of the Lord. Isn't that crazy? That's so cool. So God stirred up the wind to help the Israelites out. So it wasn't Moses like karate chopping. It was actually a wind that parted the sea. But he also stirred up this wind to stop Jonah right in his tracks. I thought that was so cool. So anyways, back to Jonah, chapter one, verse four. The storm is crazy. It's like Pirates of the Caribbean or whatever. It's this crew of really... They're hardened sailors. They quickly realize the storm is supernatural. They're freaking out. They start praying to different gods. They're like, man, any god at this point, we're just crying out to the Lord. I Just make this storm stop. The captain, he goes and wakes Jonah up, and he's like, dude, what are you doing? We're all up here praying, and you're down here sleeping. And then, you know, so he scolds Jonah. Jonah wakes up. He had fallen asleep down in the ship, goes up to the top deck, and he looks around and realizes, wow, this storm is from the Lord. And I imagine the wind and the waves... Terrible. Okay, look at this too really quick. Exodus chapter 14, verse 22. So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea. Sorry, back to Exodus on the dry ground. And the waters were a wall to them on their right and on their left. Okay, so this is what I think could have happened, all right? Jonah gets up to the top deck and he sees the same thing from the same wind, a wall of water on his right and a wall of water on his left. You know, for the children of Israel, they saw the walls of water and they're like, man, this is so cool. God's making a way for us to escape. This is awesome. Jonah sees it and he's like, I'm going to die. You know, Everything's <laughs> just going to collapse on me. So then the sailors ask of him, of what people are you? And then in verse nine of chapter one, uh, Jonah, Jonah responds. He says, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Well, why would he say the dry land? They're on the sea right now. In hindsight, I think possibly Jonah was remembering the story of the Exodus. I I know he was familiar with it. He was the prophet of God. Everyone studied the Old Testament scriptures. Uh, So he's getting on the top deck. He's seeing the, the walls of water on either side of him. But in Exodus chapter 14, verse 22, remember it says that the children of Israel... Went into the midst of the sea on the dry ground. So when the sailors ask of him, is that all of us? It's a storm! <laughs> Get ready! <laughs> the Lord knows, man. Did you calm the sea? Yeah, yes, yeah, is called, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, anyways, Exodus chapter 14, verse 22, the verse says, the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on the dry ground. So when the sailors ask him, of what people are you? He says, my God made the sea and the dry land. Anyway, I thought that was cool. I don't know for sure um, if that's what Jonah was thinking. And yeah, I just wanted to say that I could be totally wrong about everything. I just said right there, I don't think I am, but some Bible... Theological person could say, yeah, dude, that was just a coincidence. It was a major storm, um, but nothing to do with Exodus. I want to ask Jonah one day, though, It's like, hey, were you thinking about Exodus in the storm? <laughs> um, and he might be like, yeah, I wasn't thinking about that at all. You read way into that, and that could happen. So that's fine if it, if it does. But anyways, not, not a hill worth dying on, but I thought that was just a really cool parallel, possible. Okay, so then Jonah confesses to all of the sailors, hey man, it's my fault. It was my disobedience. That's why there's this massive storm. And I thought that was a good reminder too, man. It's good to look at ourselves and see if the trouble that we are in is our fault. Little examination. Doesn't that feel awesome when it's your fault, you realize? Good feeling, right? (laughs) We can be our own worst enemies. But then Jonah says, if you throw me in, the storm is gonna stop. The crew is hesitant. They're like, oh, but we don't want to make your God any more mad. We don't want to shed innocent blood. And uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to try to row back to land. So it says they rowed hard. They rowed hard back to land, and, uh, but it, it didn't work. They could not row out. Row God's storm. Um, so finally they say, okay, God, don't get mad at us. We're throwing Jonah into the sea. So they throw him. Jonah does a cannonball, boom, storm ceases. And then, this is really cool, though. The crew, they make vows to the Lord. They show this... Uh, Uh, this God word, they're like responding to God. They're like, yeah, I I told the Lord that if he stopped the storm, I was gonna serve. I don't know exactly what happened, but it says they do make vows to the Lord, so cool. And I thought that was just an awesome point because we know for sure that God wanted the Ninevites to be saved. And we know towards the end of the story, the Ninevites, they do repent. It's awesome. But I think that this crew of sailors was just as, as important to the Lord as the Ninevites were. So now they're responding to him. And uh, just as a point of reference, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God wants everybody to be saved, man. He doesn't want anybody apart from him. Amen, good reminder. But Jonah hits the water and the last verse in chapter 1. It ends with verse 17. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah and Jonah was in the belly of the fish Three days and three nights. Love that verse. I, you know, I think it's really good to try to put ourselves in the shoes of, or the sandals of Bible characters as we're reading about them. You know, it's good to just put yourself there. And I think that Jonah thought he was going to die. I was talking to a brother uh, last week who said, yeah, Jonah definitely thought he was going to die and maybe he even preferred to die rather than to go out and accomplish God's will. And that's why he volunteered to throw himself in. Not sure though. But I do think there came a moment when he was looking maybe over the ship's edge or you know, he came up onto the top deck and he saw the walls of water and he thought, man, this is the end for, for me. I've disobeyed the Lord and yeah, it's over. But at least the crew, I wanna save these guys. You know, They're innocent, they didn't do anything wrong. They were just giving me a ride. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to save the lives of the crew here. He gets thrown in, boom, he hits the water. And I, at that point, me, I'm thinking I, I'm about to take my last breaths. You know, I just got thrown into the craziest storm I've ever seen in my entire life. But instead, he gets swallowed by a fish. And we've heard this story a lot of times, so that kind of goes in one ear and out the other. Um, but at, he gets swallowed by a fish. That's crazy. That's crazy. At this point in Jonah's life, I mean, what's the biggest fish that Jonah has seen? 24 inches, I mean, that's a big fish. That's a huge fish. That's a steelhead. That's a huge, you know, it's a salmon. Maybe that's the biggest fish he's seen, but now a 20 foot fish swallows him. So yeah, anyway, the Bible is so cool, man. I love, it's crazy. But anyways, Jonah is, uh, as the old saying goes, out of the frying pan into the fire, or in this case, uh, out of the boat and into the throat. Of a fish. I actually made that up, so. I really did. You're welcome. All right, so that's where we're going to pick the story up now. That was just an intro, man. That was an intro. (laughs) Three days and three nights. All right, Jonah chapter two, verse one. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly. All right, let me pray for us one more time. Father, Lord, thank you for your word. It's so cool. So much insight, so many... And we see what we should avoid, what we should pursue. But Lord, um, man, we're here for, t- for you tonight. We're not here to um, have our intellect uh, tickled or anything like that. We're here because we worship you. We praise you. We, we do acknowledge you as the God of the sea, the God of the dry land, the God of the universe, Lord. And all our praise goes out to you. And we worship you, Father. Thank you, and I pray that as, uh, as we dive into Jonah's prayer here, Lord, that you would help us to pray, to learn how to pray um, all the time, in the good times, in the bad times, in our darkest moments. Father, thank you for being near to us, and I pray that you would bless the study of your word now as we get into it. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so now we come to the second miracle of the story. The first miracle was that great wind that we just talked about. The second miracle Jonah is swallowed by a fish that God had prepared. I had mentioned towards the end of the service last week that we believe that this story is true. Some people think it's a Jewish fable. Um, it wasn't a figurative or a spiritual fish. We believe that it, is, it was a literal fish that swallowed Jonah, and that's super weird. It's crazy, but if we believed he resurrected from the dead, if we believe that, that you know the Genesis account, that God created everything in six days and then rested on the seventh day, this story is not too much for me to believe, Um, and it might be for somebody, and if that's the case, then I think we do need to do the due diligence, and if somebody is like, man, I want to come to the Lord, but I can't, because I cannot believe that story, then, man, maybe we dive in, and you just pray about researching, and manuscript evidence, and all that stuff, but for me, I mean, I take it at face value, and I believe this story, and Apparently, Jesus believed it too. He said so in Matthew chapter 12, verse 39. He believes this story. So we believe it happened, and it's so cool. And just to pull up Jonah chapter 2, verse 1 again, the very first word there is then. The very first word is then. Verse 17 of chapter 1 had said, Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So from what I can tell, and what the scriptures, I believe, are indicating is that Jonah waited three days and three nights before this prayer happened. Um, this is debated by Bible scholars. And uh, I, yeah, I am ready to be wrong about the timing of Jonah's prayer here. But from what I can see, he waited three days and three nights to pray. And I was thinking to myself, why would he wait three days and three nights to pray? That is ridiculous. Then you think, well, why do I wait so long to start praying? <laughs> why do I treat it like a, like a last resort? You know, I know when I'm in trouble or if I'm just, yeah, going through something. Man, I, we want prayer to be our first response, but oftentimes it's not. It's our last ditch effort. We do everything in our strength first. Exhaust all the other options. We, when you finally do get around to praying, you think, man, I should have just done this first. <laughs> I feel so much better. Uh, so I try not to fault Jonah here too much, waiting three days and three nights to pray. But yeah, may we be people that just get on the horn with God right away. And as far as the details of the inside of the fish, man, I wish we were given details. We're not given details. I'm, you know, Was he able to stand up? It, really, you know, think about it. Was he able to stand up or was he treading water the, the entire time and then he would have occasional breaks? I don't know. I wanted to bring up this visual, though, uh, to show you guys... The, <laughs> This is, yeah, I wanted to bring this up, and my wife mentioned this as we were talking through it. She was like, yeah, in all the children's books, when you look at the story, Jonah is like super comfortable. There's like a table, look at this one, there's a table. He's drying clothes on a clothes rack. There's a door. I don't know if you can see it. There's pillows over there on his bed. Uh, looks like there's room service or whatever. So yeah, I thought this was funny. And I, I wanted to bring up, you know, I I am of the belief that it was not like this at all. Um, <laughs> uh, many scholars believe, you know, it, it was a whale. And if it was a whale, that's a mammal. So that means it's 98.6 degrees in there. Let's call it 100 degrees. And Jonah is being sloshed back and forth into stomach acid. This whale or fish had probably eaten other fish as well. So that's what he's uh, treading in, and it's hot. It's really hot in there. It's 100 degrees. So th- look at what Jonah says, though, in Jonah chapter two, verse two. And he said, "I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and He answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and You heard my voice." And so, to Jonah, this probably is the closest thing to Sheol that he's ever been in. Um, yeah, he's being sloshed around in that fish stomach acid cocktail. Um, so I think he was really uncomfortable. But notice it says there, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. And that, unfortunately, I believe is what it takes to get us to pray sometimes is affliction. Um, that's just our stubbornness. God has to give us an affliction to get us to pray. But man, I just wanted to say about prayer, You know, Jonah is lifting this prayer up to the Lord right here. As I have been walking with the Lord more and more I have been super, super blessed by prayer. Um, there have been times in my life when I only prayed when I needed something, for sure. I'd be the first to raise my hand and say, I've done that a lot, where I, just, I need something from the Lord, so then I pray to him. But man, I've just been, as again, I've been walking with the Lord. I've found it's better to pray all the time, man, even when things are going good, even when things are smooth sailing, um, even right now, you know, me and Michaela just feel like he's, God is totally blessing our socks off. So we found it's good to pray then and I wanted to bring up 1 Thessalonians chapter five. This is verses 16 through 18. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, or sorry, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. Yeah, okay, we're doing two, yeah. And everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Different version here. Okay, pray without ceasing. This is something I have been learning recently, but I believe that we can be in a spirit of prayer as well. So what does that mean, you know, a spirit of prayer? Well, I think that's pray without ceasing. And just as an example, maybe this is when uh, you're talking to somebody and you don't say an out loud prayer, but in your mind, you just connect with the Lord and say, Father, just help me to comfort this person. Give me wisdom right now. Even as you're speaking something else to a person, I've just been learning I'm not an expert on that, but I've just have been learning how to do it recently. It's more of a spirit of prayer and I've I've just been, it's been awesome. So that's spirit of prayer. At the end of verse two though, he says, and you heard my voice. We, yeah, there you go. And you heard my voice. I wanted to also look at Hebrews chapter four, verse 16. Um, We had looked at 412 earlier, but this says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace. To help in time of need. Jonah is crying out from the inside of the fish, but when can we cry out? That was a question that came up to me. Well, is there ever is God ever uh, a little busy? Does He have to like pencil me in? But you know, this verse in time of need, whenever that is for you, whenever you have a time of need. And uh, for me, I yeah find I'm in need a lot. But okay, we're gonna keep going. We're gonna jump down to verse three, Jonah. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. Notice it says, for you cast me into the deep. So Jonah is realizing it was God who threw him into the sea, although the sailors were the ones who physically threw him. He's realizing, Lord, you put me here. God threw him into the sea. And I often find uh, the trials, the tribulations that we experience are often from the Lord. It's not that he's a big meanie and wants to make life miserable and he doesn't like us or anything like that. In fact, I think it's the opposite. He loves us so much that he's willing to put us through a trial. Knows it'll be good for us. He knows that good will come of it. And that's why I believe the Apostle Paul would later write, uh, this is Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit It was given to us. So we glory in tribulations. That means that we're grateful for trials. We're stoked about trials. No, it's easier said than done. It's not really like that. But when God casts us into what we believe, you know, the heart of the sea is, I think we can say I'm in the middle of a trial, but I'm clinging to him and he is refining me. It was so cool. A couple nights ago, we got to have some of the young adults uh, come over to our house. And uh, it was our first young adults uh, night. And it, it was great. We just had a time of fellowship and we were uh, just hanging out and eating. And we also had uh, a time of worship as well and prayer. But afterward, I said to everybody, I just said, hey, would you mind, you know, going around, say your name and what you're doing here and just what the the Lord is doing in your life. And there was a a guy there that I had just met, his name was Noah. His wife Elizabeth was there, and they have a two-month-old son named Micah who was with them as well. And um, everybody said awesome, really powerful stuff, but it gets around to Noah, and he goes, honestly, man, my son Micah here is two months old, and uh, the Lord is just showing me how selfish I am. And I was like, dang, that's, yeah, that's really cool. I was really just really impressed with that because he just admitted, dude, it's really, like I'm struggling like it's hard to be a parent it's really hard man I was like dude it is really hard amen I mean it's hard to be a parent right got some parents in the room it was right (laughs) yeah it wasn't hard for my parents my parents are back there and for them it was bliss I'm telling you (laughs) no I brought that up because I think God is just like man he was being refined. You know, Noah just said that. He was like, the Lord's really bringing this out of me. They're like, I'm selfish. And I was like, dang. But that's a picture of God refining us, you know. So Jonah realized it wasn't the sailors who threw me in. It was you, Lord. And then this is verse four. Jonah chapter two, verse four. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight. yet I will look again towards your holy temple. Jonah would have been familiar with the idea of going to the temple. He was from northern Israel. And they uh, traditionally went to the temple to worship. And then we're going to carry on to verse 5 and 6. The water surrounded me, even to my soul, the deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains, the earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. As you read that, doesn't it sound like a Psalm of David? It really just sounds like a, a, a psalm there. And I wanted to bring up a psalm that David did write, 69, uh, verse 1. David said this, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. You know, I think Jonah was familiar with that. And he's like, man, I can really contend with, J, with David right now. So I think Jonah is, he's very familiar with these psalms, and he's just praying them up unto the Lord. And then this is verse 7. This is really cool. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. He says, when my soul fainted within me, I remember the Lord. Um, another translation says, as my life was slipping away, I remember the Lord. And that just reminded me, you know, there was a, a gentleman that I, I have befriended in this last fall. Um, he, he actually become a good friend of mine, but he has an um, LDS background. And he was really just beginning to wrestle in his spiritual journey, just questioning um, Mormonism in the, the church. And it, yeah, it was really cool, very cool experience. But he was just really upfront and honest with me. And he said, dude, I feel like my life is falling apart right now. I, I feel like it's just literally in pieces on my friends' lives are great. Everyone has these, you know, picture perfect this and that, but my life is falling apart and he, he was just in a really, really bad spot. He felt like everything was just like I'm broken. I'm just hopeless. I almost wish I'd never heard it. Then there's just no way God can be close to me right now. And I said, Whoa, whoa, hey, listen. And I, I shared with him this. It's Psalm chapter fifty one, verse seventeen. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. So I just said to him, hey, that brokenness that you're feeling right now, that spirit of just helplessness, that is the spirit that God requires for you to be close with him. He's not far away. God is right there. He doesn't, but he can't work with like the haughty spirit. That's like the spirit of the Pharisee. You know, He, he can't work with that. Sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, broken and a contrite heart. I think Jonah right here in the belly of the fish, I think he is experiencing that same brokenness. Um, I think he just, yeah, he was at the end. I mean, it doesn't get deeper or darker than Jonah was right there on the inside of that fish. And I wanted to jump down to Jonah chapter two, verse eight and nine. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. I love these two verses. But at the beginning of verse nine, Jonah says he will sacrifice to the Lord with thanksgiving. And I believe right here, if Jonah wasn't on the inside of the fish, if, if he was able to, he would have built an altar to the Lord right now and he would have sacrificed unto him. He would have set, you know, gotten a bull or a lamb or a bird or dove, whatever, what, you know, he didn't have access to this stuff right now, but he says, I can sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I can lift up that sacrifice. I can give thanks unto you, Lord. I thought that was just, like, that's such a great principle. Once we start to be thankful, we can always make that sacrifice, the voice of thanksgiving. It's been so cool at our uh, staff meetings recently. We, have, we always start with uh, just a time of prayer together, and the guys Uh, you know, Greg or Micah, somebody will just start listing things that they're thankful for, and we come in, and there's like a lot of details, you know, everyone has lists of stuff that they need answers on, and we're trying to coordinate events and stuff, but that time of prayer, somebody just starts listing the things that they're thankful for, and then everyone starts listing the things that they're thankful for, and by the end of it, I'm like, man, I feel good, like, I'm blessed right now. We're not, we're no more stress. Anyways, that's a good principle to live by, can always offer him your thanks. And then at the end of verse 9 there, it said that Jonah says that he's going to pay what he has vowed. And maybe it was a long time ago in Jonah's life. I'm, I'm not sure, but I'm just speculating that at some point Jonah had made a vow unto the Lord. Maybe it was when he was really young, when he was just a Boy Scout or whatever. He was like, Lord, I will do anything for you. No one is too wicked. I'll go anywhere. I'm on fire for you, Lord. I will just go and I'll do it, whatever you want me to do. Um, but somewhere along the line, I don't know if it was one event or just the, the grind of life, whatever it was, um, Jonah was no longer willing to do all the things for God that he had mentioned. Maybe that vow just, uh, yeah, he had gone back on his vow at a certain point. But I believe right here in the belly of the fish, we are seeing Jonah renew that vow. He's saying, like, I'm back, baby. You know what I mean? He's like, back. I don't know that for sure. But the language does seem to indicate that he had promised something. And now he's going to make good on his promise. And I wanted to touch on that for a minute just as I think we just need to be careful making vows. This is uh, what Jesus said about it in Matthew chapter 5. This is uh, verses uh, we're going to read verses 33 through 37. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, Do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. Don't you wish you could? But let your yes be yes and your no, no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. And I brought up that verse just to say that I think we do need to be careful when we're making uh, vows. I'm always, I'm just a little weary when people like start swearing up and down to things for me. They're like, I'm going to help you move this weekend. And I, dude, I swear I will on my mother's sweater. You know, they just make these crazy vows. They're like, and if I don't, you can cut off my toes. You know, it's just like too much. But yeah, I'm just like, dude, if you're gonna help me, then come help me. And if you can't make it, that's okay too. But don't go swearing by everything, you know? Um, Yeah, just a little weird with, with vows, but I think Jonah here, he is renewing a commitment, which is, that is different. I think he's saying, Lord, I got off track, but I'm just recommitting my life and my whole life's mission to you. I'm just giving it back to you. And that is different than Jonah saying, I'm gonna be the best prophet you've ever seen, Lord. There's no prophet that's gonna be, greater than me, and I will never mess up. That's just, that's too much pressure, man. <laughs> we do that sometimes, though. And Peter, actually, he ran into something similar with the Lord when he, uh, when he denied him. Remember at the dinner, he was like, even if all these guys deny, all these chumps deny you, I will not deny you. That's uh, too much, man. That's too much pressure. But I, the encouragement I wanted to say to us is that I think we can say, Lord, I'm recommitting to you. I'm not going to be perfect. In fact, I, there's a good chance I'm going to stumble and fall flat on my face. But just give me the grace to keep following you. That's, that's what I think Jonah is doing here. But verse 9 ends with Jonah. He says, salvation is of the Lord. And there are many scholars who believe that this is uh, the greatest thing that Jonah says in the book of Jonah. And uh, I wanted just to read something to you guys. This is something that J. Vernon McGee said, a great theologian. He said, salvation is God's work for us. It is never man's work for God. And I think that verse, that that saying is so good. Salvation is God's work for us. It is never man's work for God. And I can attest to that because uh, God saved me. That's my testimony. He reached in, pulled me out of the muck and the mire, and I didn't have much to do with it to be honest. And that's my experience. Uh, so I, you know, I didn't want to get too much into do we choose God or does God choose us, choose us or that that whole balance? And I, I think it is both, and I could show you verses that support both. Um, but again, I'm just somebody with an experience, and as far as my experience goes, he saved me. I, I, yeah. And I, I always liken myself to the blind man that Jesus healed in John chapter 9. You guys remember that story? John chapter 9. So I know we're familiar with it, but uh, Jesus, he ends up healing a blind man who is actually blind from birth. So he's been blind forever. He doesn't know any different. But the Pharisees, it's the one where he spits in the mud and he rubs it and he puts it on the guy's eyes. He washes, he comes back, and he's healed. And the Pharisees are really mad about it. They're like, how can he be healing people if he's a sinner? You know, because they think he's a sinner. So they get really mad. And so they call him the blind guy's parents, and they're like, okay, was he really blind from birth, or did Jesus pay you off? Like, you know, they're trying to get something. And they're like, yes, he's blind from birth, and he's a grown man. Why don't you just go talk to him yourself? This is another rendition that this isn't exactly what. <laughs> but okay, this is John chapter nine, verse 24. So they again called the man who was blind and said to him, give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner, speaking of Jesus. And then this is, uh, this is what the blind man says. It's so powerful. This is John nine twenty-five. Um, he answered and said, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know that though I was blind, now I see. (laughs) Oh man, I love that verse. And so I I really sit more and I lean more towards the camp of the blind man here where um, I'm not sure about all the details. All I know is that he healed me. He saved me. Did I choose him? Did he choose me? After my encounter with him, I was healed. That's that's what happened. So, and I think that's, anyways, what's important. All right. Then we just have uh, one verse left. We'll get to it in a second here. But at the beginning of our time tonight, you know, we had talked about just the importance of the Word of God. Uh, Hebrews four twelve. We had mentioned that it's alive, powerful, dynamic, and we saw how Jonah was praying forth really a lot of these psalms that I believe he had tucked away in his heart. You know, I don't think he had any scrolls in there on his person <laughs> that he was referencing when he was saying this stuff. Um, and I think that these are verses that he had hidden in his heart, so to speak. These are verses that he had put in there. But my whole point in saying that was in our darkest moments, um, when we're in, you know, the Sheol's, and when we're in the, the belly of the fish, so to speak, what do we cling to? Like, what, what do we have, honestly? in Also, what gives us hope? What brings us back to hope? Uh, I believe for us, it's God's word. We read it, we study it, we memorize it. We hide it away in our hearts. And then in your darkest moment, I know a lot of you can attest to this, that's what comes out of you. And that's really the substance. That's what matters. That's what actually gives you hope. Uh, I also believe that's part of the issue with people that haven't experienced a relationship with the Lord before Right now, there's a lot of advertisement and there's this big movement of people who are telling us to look within for answers. They're saying just, there are answers, there's some truth or some hidden solution inside of you. We just, it was, uh, me and Michaela just recently saw a YouTube ad about this, so it's really fresh in my mind. But they're like, access within. So what happens is people get into a really dark place, they get to the end of their rope, they look within, and they're disappointed. Because it's emptiness. They need God in their life. They have no hope. And I believe really what it causes is despair. It really does. But Jonah, I believe, is a good example of somebody who, uh, Jonah messed up for sure. Don't get me wrong, Jonah messed up big time. Um, Despite all the mess ups he made, he had the word of God hidden in his heart. I mean, we just read all these Psalms he was referencing. And I think that's just such a good reminder to us. You know, Let me treasure God's word right here in my heart. Then when things get really dark and really wayward, they couldn't be any worse, this is what's gonna come out of you. The word will come forth. All right, well, this is the last verse of chapter two. So the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. All right. Well, next week we're gonna pick up in chapter three. Jonah finally uh, comes full circle. He gets back to Nineveh, but he smells worse. No. Well, I hope tonight was just a reminder that the Bible is awesome, man. May we hide it away in our hearts so in our dark moments and our... when you get to the end there, man, we can speak forth the word of God. All right, let me pray one more time. Father, thank you for your word. I really do thank you, Lord. Just such a light to us, Lord. It guides us. We trust it for absolute truth. We believe the whole thing cover to cover, Lord. So thank you. Thank you so much, Father. And I pray that... Um, As we continue over the weekend, that we would make a practice of that and just get into the rhythm of hiding your word in our heart, of memorization, of just thinking about it, Lord, and uh, being encouraged by it, taking heart from it. And uh, for anybody here tonight, Father, that uh, was just wrestling or anything like that, Lord, I pray that you would speak clearly, that you would comfort, Lord, and that you would give them your peace. And uh, I saw these things in Jesus' name. Amen.